0: You're listening to the Theology Mom podcast, and now here's Theology Mom, Krista Bontrager. Well, good morning, Nissan. My name is Peter. I am part of the leadership team here at Nissan. And uh, if you are a Christian, and if you're at all like me, sometime during your faith journey, you have questions, and you want answers to those questions. And for me. Uh, Part of that came about a few years back with just kind of the, the intersection of faith and science and how to, how to get those to line up. And one of the things that I discovered that really um, helped me in that part of my journey was an organization called Reasons to Believe. Uh, Some of you probably are familiar with Reasons to Believe. You might know uh, Dr. Fuzrana, who's part of our congregation here. Um, Another very key part of that organization is uh, Krista Bontrager. Uh, Krista is uh, part of, she's been with uh, Reasons to Believe for going on 20 years now. Uh, There are many words that we could use to describe Krista. She is a teacher. She is a Bible scholar, a theologian. Uh, She's also a mom. And uh, if you're interested in kind of learning more about her, uh, check out her website, theologymom.com. It's a great uh, great little insight into who she is and what she does. Um, But we are really honored to have her here today. We get to describe her today as the preacher at New Song. So uh, would you please join me in welcoming Krista to the (laughs) platform?
1: So good to be with all of you today. And um, wow, this is fun. I'm just so excited. It's just great to be here on a Father's Day and be able to be among family. I attend uh, Grace Church of Glendora, just down the street here. I think one of my favorite things about the body of Christ is that I can just come over here from down the street and be among family. Isn't it that we can. Uh, that we're all joined together in Christ. And I want to thank my friend, Dr. Fuz Rana, and the pastoral team for letting me come today. And if you want to, if you have your Bible, if you could turn to Luke chapter 15, and I will join you there in just a few minutes. But if you want to turn there now, if you have an app or a Bible, and if you're new to the church, and maybe you don't really even know how to navigate your way through the Bible, if someone is near you, just reach out. And they will help you out. And you can always look in the table of contents, too. But we want you to feel like you know how to get into God's Word, because we're, that's really um, what it means to be a Christian, in some ways, is just to understand uh, how to hear what the Father has revealed to us. And I just love being here on Father's Day, because... Uh, having a woman preach on Father's Day—that's brave. Like, can we just can we just acknowledge the, the the reality of the bravery of that? Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, so, how many of you have ever heard this statement that Christianity is not a religion; it's a relationship? Right? Yeah, it's a very common saying among many of us. And this is the tiniest pulpit I've ever worked with. Um, and. Um, So, I want to start by giving you a little pro-tip. Okay, I paid a lot of money for this pro-tip. I spent nine years in seminary, so are you guys ready? Um, Christianity is both. It's both a religion and a relationship. And in James chapter 127, it says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after widows and orphans in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And this is echoed in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 4, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family, and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. See, what's unique about Christianity is that Our religion is actually an expression, or what I like to call a demonstration, of our relationship. What I think though that many Christians say when they they say the saying that Christianity is not a religion, is that really what they're saying is a true thing, and that is that true faith consists of an intentional relationship, that I have made an intentional decision to be connected to God. It's not just a matter of man made works or rituals that makes me connected to God. It is a relationship. And I think that what's important to understand from James and Timothy is that Christianity is a religion where we are actively demonstrating that relationship. It's not enough to just kind of be in a relationship in name only right? It's that, that then that relationship affects us. It transforms us. It changes how we think and how we, how we behave. And that our religion is one where we are called to love our enemies. Now, how many of us, like, we get up every morning, boy, I'm excited to love my enemies today to the glory of God, right? Yeah, no, it, that's hard, right? And if you don't know who your enemies are, um, maybe ask your spouse to help you out with that. They might be able to help you identify who the people are that irritate you and get angry, that make you angry. But you know, uh, when we think about our religion, what we want to do is demonstrate that we are a different kind of people because we have a relationship with God. And we do things like uh, taking care of widows and orphans and we remember the resurrection of our savior on Easter, and we engage in practices like prayer and fasting. And we don't do these things to try to earn our way to heaven, rather we do them as an expression of our relationship that we have. So we don't want to separate out our works from our relationship, rather our relationship ought to bear fruit, right? It ought to, demonstrate our connection to the Father. But when I think about Father's Day, all right, time for true confessions, my relationship with Father's Day is complicated. Anyone else have a complicated relationship with Father's Day? Yeah, so my husband is a wonderful father to our two children. Um, He has just, our lives changed forever. 19 years ago today, I gave birth to our oldest daughter, and uh, that was a wonderful first Father's Day. I remember being in the hospital still with our infant, and today she's up at Forest Home, uh, serving on staff there for the summer, and she just finished her first year at Biola. Our, Our younger daughter is here with us this morning. She just finished her first year of high school. And, you know, Father's Day in our house for my children, I'm glad, is a happy day. But for me, I I was, as I was reflecting on preparing the sermon this week, I have to tell you in all honesty, I don't know if I have ever bought a Father's Day card. Like, I don't know if I can even find that section in the store. I mean, this is how complicated my relationship is with Father's Day. My relationship with my earthly father in the best of times has been difficult. And in the worst of times has been one of no contact for my own kind of self-protection and sanity. Yeah. So it's 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 a complicated day for me. But what I want to tell you today is that no matter what kind of father you have, whether he was amazing in the way that he opened your heart to love or whether it was kind of a wreck like my situation or somewhere in between, No matter where you are today on that spectrum, I want to tell you that there is hope, that there is hope for a better way, and that there is a father in heaven who is the perfect heavenly father. And he is inviting you into the most amazing relationship that you have ever imagined, that you haven't even imagined like that no mind has even conceived. It's a wonderful supernatural adventure, and I want to share with you a little of my supernatural venture into this area today. So, it's very seldom that we have a homework assignment that changes our life. Right? How many of you have ever had a homework assignment that changed your life? My senior year in college, my Bible professor at Biola had us write a two-page essay in response to this question. What would the world be like if my dad was made God for a day? Oh, wow. I was emotionally stripped naked right there in my class from the first few seconds after those words came out of his mouth, I mean, I realized immediately in that space how confused my impression was of the Heavenly Father and how bound up it was with my impression and experience of my earthly father. And I don't think I had an awareness until that very moment. I had to sit down and... and, Uh, This was the old days where we actually wrote out essays using pen and paper. And, um, you know, I had to write out this two-page essay of what would the world be like if my dad was made God for a day. And reflecting on that, wow, that was a powerful moment of self-awareness. That the world would be a place of inconsistency and broken promises because my father would show up at random times in my life. Like, scheduled visits were not really a total thing for him. And so he would kind of show up. And and when he did show up, you know, I kind of never knew what was going to happen. And then he would make promises of places we would go and things we would see, and there was this longing in my heart for a closer relationship with him. But then those things wouldn't materialize most of the time, and it was this, kind of field of broken promises. As a young 21-year-old sitting in my Bible class, I realized in that moment that, wow, my relationship with the Heavenly Father has been really shaped by my relationship with my earthly father. And I didn't even realize it. The world would be a place of fear and confusion. My earthly father, was a very, he is a very um, uh, d- difficult person. He's, he's um, not always a kind person. He uses words in difficult ways and how he communicates with us. And so when I would think about talking to God, I would think about him in ways of, well, he doesn't really want to hear me because I'm so messed up, I keep messing up. I don't wanna go to him, he's gonna be angry with me. And I became fearful and the relationship with my heavenly father was broken and I didn't even realize it. But I probably would have said that little mantra, oh yes, Christianity, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. But when I stopped to look at what kind of relationship did I actually have with the heavenly father, there really wasn't that much there wasn't really a relationship. It was just kind of a lot of fear and and doubt and missed perceptions. So I hope you're in Luke chapter 15. Are we all there? And we're going to look very briefly at these three wonderful parables of Jesus. The parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Now I'm going to start in verse verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus but when the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered this man welcomes sinners and eats with them I want you to to just get a picture of what's happening here that there was a thought at that time in that culture of how do we know who's near to God and who's far from God well, the people who are near to God are those who engage in certain practices. They observe the Sabbath. They observe these food laws. They're circumcised. They're Jews. These are how we know who's near to God. And over here are the people who are far from God. These are the people that don't do these things, right? Non-Jews. They don't, they, they don't obey the food laws. These are the people that are far from God. Jesus is about to turn all of that upside down. I love that. I love how he does that. He says, you know, essentially, let's clarify who's near to God and who's far from God. And so he goes into this parable of the lost sheep. Suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And then he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home and he calls all his neighbors, rejoice with me. So in this case, who was near to the shepherd? It wasn't necessarily the 99, it was the one that the shepherd went out to pursue. And he says, this is who is near to my heart and I'm gonna pull him near and I'm gonna pick him up and I'm gonna put him on my shoulders and I'm gonna call my friends and have a big party. And then we see in the lost coin right after that, I love this because then uh, Jesus first compares the father's love to a shepherd and then he compares it to a woman who has lost a coin. you ever thought about that the father's father being compared to a woman that's sort of interesting and that the woman has lost a coin. And what does she do? She, she lights a lamp and sweeps the house and searches carefully until she finds it. And then when she finds it, she calls all her friends and neighbors and says, rejoice with me. So these are basically two parables mirroring each other, saying the same thing. But God wants us to know this is who is near to his heart are those who are lost. And he is going to, run after us and look for us and then he's going to throw a big party and rejoice when we are found and now we're going to read through the parable of the lost son a little bit more detail It says jesus continued in verse 11 that there was a man who had two sons the younger one said to his father father give me my share of the estate and so he divided the property between them isn't it interesting to notice that in this culture it was basically that the son going to the father and saying, you know what, dad, um, I want my inheritance now. It was kind of the functional equivalent in that in an honor shame culture of saying, drop dead, give it to me. I want it now. But what does the father do? He's not insulted. He just starts dividing up the property and he gives it to him. It's hard to imagine that level of love. And then he says, not long after that in verse 13, the younger son got, to, got together all he had and set off for a distant country where he squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out as a citizen of that country who sent to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, so that, so no, but no one gave him anything. So in this situation, he goes far from his father. He's running away from his father. He takes the money, he squanders it, what we call today he was irresponsible, right? And, he, and he's far, he's left the country, He's engaging in practices of feeding unclean animals, which were pigs. Jewish people who were supposedly the ones who were near to God didn't interact with pigs. But here he is far from his far from the land and interacting with unclean animals. He's doing everything to show I am far from my father. And yet what what does Jesus say in this parable? He says when he came to his senses. He said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And you make me like one of your hired men. Make me like one of your hired men. And so he got up and he went to his father. He's thinking, well, you know, at least... If I go back to my father, maybe I can live in the servants' quarters. Like, I'm not trying to get back into the house, but even my father's servants are better off than I am right now, out here starving to death. So he's trying to figure out the pathway back to his father, and he's thinking, well, maybe if I come back as a servant, maybe that could, at least I could have some food in my stomach. But what's so interesting is the father's response. Notice it says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with what? Compassion for him. He ran to his son, he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. I imagine, I'm imagining the story that The father is looking out the window every day, hoping his son is going to come back. And then one day he sees him coming down the road and he runs out to meet him and he throws his arms around his neck. And he's just so excited to see his son. See, I really think that this parable would be better titled, not the parable of the lost son, but the parable of the generous father. This is a scandalous amount of love, a public display of affection in that culture, where the father is going to go out to the son who has shamed his father. But he's going to throw his arms around him and say, welcome home. And then he's gonna put a ring on his finger, a symbol of honor, and he's gonna throw a big party to say, my son has come home. Now, I don't know about you, but like, if if that was me, you know, like, my first inclination might be, we first need to sit down and have a conversation about boundaries, son. (laughs) Like, you know, you've acted in some irresponsible ways. Let's talk about, um, you know, we don't want this to ever happen again, but that's not what happens, right? He runs out, he throws his arms around his neck, I think, a little Bible interpolation there, but I think that's probably what happened. And he puts a ring on his finger and he has a big party to celebrate this son who has brought him shame. Like, is anyone else sitting there feeling, as a parent of an adult child, a little uncomfortable? Seriously. And this is, it's hard to compute this level of love, because in our way of thinking, you know, there's, there should be some works in there. Like, what have you done to earn the status? But he just, does he restore him to servant? You know, son, look. We can't have this happening again, so I appreciate it. So you're gonna live in the servant's quarters. You can have some food, it'll be good, but you're not gonna be my son. We're not doing that. No, he just invites him right back in. And I think that all too often we as Christians have what I call a scarcity mentality about the Father's love. We like to think of ourselves as sinners saved by grace. And we are that. But we are also so much more than that. We are his children. That is our primary identity, that we are loved. We have been adopted. We have been sought after. We have been selected. We have been chosen. And do you know that that not everyone is a child of God? Like, have you ever reflected on that? We're all created in the image of God, and we all have inherent value, dignity, and worth. But the title of child of God is reserved for those people who have put their faith and trust and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. For all who receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. It is a special status to be a child of God. And as we reflect on the parable of the generous father, I want us to consider a few questions. How do we think our Heavenly Father thinks about us? And what do we think about our Heavenly Father? See, those two questions are all interconnected. What I think the father thinks about me affects how I see myself. And how I see myself is often a reflection of what I think God thinks about me and what I think about him. It's all interconnected. So if I think that I'm really not that good, I don't deserve it, then I'm going to think he might be angry at me all the time, right? We might know in our heads, like how many of you are in the space that I used to be in, of I knew in my head that the Father loved me. Sing songs about it. We sang some songs about it a few minutes ago. We're going to sing some more songs in a few minutes. We know in our heads that the Father loves us. We quote Bible verses about his love, but do we truly believe in what I call our core person. That the Father unconditionally, completely, and fully embraces me right now just as I am. In my chaos, in my brokenness, in my struggle with addiction. That stills, that little voice that we hear every day telling us about our standing in our relationship with the Father. What does it say to us? Does it say he's angry? He's disappointed, he's frustrated, or he's on the verge of disappointment. You and your sin again. Here we are again, child. Why are you doing this again? Why are you confessing this again? What are those little thoughts that we have about how the father thinks about us? I'm not doing a good enough job living the Christian life. I hope I can do enough good stuff to make him happy with me. What are those secret thoughts that you have that that gnaw away that re, on your identity as the child of God? And what is the result of those thoughts? We avoid talking with him. We avoid hanging out with him. We avoid listening to his voice. Resting in his presence. In other words, we're avoiding the relationship. Have you ever noticed like you can't have a relationship without an investment? But if only one party, have you ever had a friendship with somebody where like only one of you is really showing up for the relationship? That doesn't work, right? Or if only one person shows up inconsistently and you feel like it's uneven, the affection's very uneven, the Father is inviting us into an amazing supernatural adventure of relationship. But we are so hesitant because I think we, we have these secret thoughts of shame. We're like the, the son who thinks, has a mentality, if I can just go back and be a servant. And the father saying, no, I don't want you to be a servant. You're my son. That's who you are. And I want to celebrate you. I think many of us think of salvation as primary, primarily as a legal connection. I've been adopted. I got my adoption papers. I'm good. But we don't think of what am I sewing into the relationship? We have a transactional approach to our faith. And we are so easily duped by the enemy into believing and accepting alternative identities. To my primary identity is as a child of God, We, we we adopt we engage in what I call identity theft, where we adopt alternative identities such as I am my sin, I am an addict, I am a drunk, I am a failure. Or we adopt an identity according to our disease or our illness. I am anxious. I am, fill in whatever your illness is. We put it on like a cloak, and it becomes our identity. It's identity theft. I am my profession. I am an electrician. I am a teacher, or I'm a mother. But none of these are our primary identity. Your primary identity is as a child of the Most High God. So be very careful when you use the words, I am, fill in the blank. Don't engage in identity theft. Don't come into agreement with a declaration about you that the, the heavenlies don't agree with. Our true identity is that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And the moment that we were adopted, everything changed. So the question is, are we entering into the depths of the actual relationship that the father wants to have with us? Are we hanging out with him? Are we hearing from him? Are we taking time every day to sit in his presence and just listen to his voice? Have, I want to go back for a minute. I want to make another point, but I want to go back to my story about my college paper for a minute. <laughs> That homework assignment changed the trajectory of my life. That homework assignment is actually what made me decide to become a theologian. After I wrote that paper, I realized what broken ideas I had about the father. So I thought the cure for that must be to enroll in seminary and take as many classes as I can on theology so that I could straighten out my broken thinking. So I went to Talbot for about eight years and took a lot of theology classes, got two advanced degrees, and it was a beautiful, wonderful season in my life. And I thoroughly enjoyed it and I learned a lot. But I realized about three and a half years ago that I wasn't any closer to understanding or experiencing the father. I had a lot of head knowledge, like I taught the classes about the doctrine of God. And I could enumerate for you the many attributes of God and the proofs for the existence of God. But I hadn't experienced the Father. And three and a half years ago, I prayed a prayer, and I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer today. As I just asked the Lord a very simple question, can you please show yourself to my heart. I don't want to know who you are in my head anymore. I want to experience you in my heart. And if you have not yet encountered the the Heavenly Father as Father, I want to invite you to do that today. And he's so gracious. That humble prayer changed my life. I was truly at the end of myself at that point. And The father just came to me and he says, it's okay. I'm releasing you from all feelings of responsibility about your earthly father. He's not your concern anymore. You don't have to witness to him. You don't have to take care of him. Just turn him over to me. And I am now going to be your father. Anything you need, you come to me. You need money, you come to me. You need Comfort, you come to me. Whatever it is that you need, you come to me, and I am stepping in, and I am now your father. And the longing that was in my heart for something for over 40 years of my life, of longing for a relationship with my earthly father that could just never materialize, was finally healed in that moment, that I could just go rest and be in the Father's presence. In all of my problems, and there are many, but he became my safe place. Have you ever had a relationship that truly changed you? Like the person's love made you want to be a better person. Have you ever had that? The person's love was so powerful and such an an interruption in your life. The one day you looked in the mirror and you said, I don't have to keep being an addict anymore. I don't have to keep doing this behavior anymore. I can be a different person. I can be a better person. See, the Father's love with, for us is not about our works. It's about the relationship, and his love changes us. It transforms us. But we have to be willing to sit with him and listen to him and be in that relationship with him to know what he really has for us, what his vision, what his hopes and dreams are for us. His relationship wants to change us. We don't get changed by a bunch of rules. But when we are changed in our hearts, we demonstrate that relationship to the world around us. And so I want to invite you right now just to close your eyes, I'm going to read an excerpt from Romans chapter 8. And then I'm going to invite you to ask to hear from the Lord today. For those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. We are not, the Father is not inviting us to come back and be his servants. He's inviting us into an amazing, supernatural relationship with him. This week, did you feel near to God or far from God? I'm not asking you for some right Sunday school answer. I'm asking you for in your heart, know the truth about how you really feel about the father. Do you feel far from him? Do you feel like you have a vibrant connection to him? Or do you just feel kind of lost and far from him? And as your eyes are closed there, I just wanna invite you to open your heart And to pray that prayer that I prayed, Father, help me to experience you in my heart. I don't want to know you in my head, I want to experience you in my heart. Because, friends, our two biggest jobs in the world are to be loved by the Father and to bring others to be loved by the Father. What thoughts? do you think the father has about you do you think he's frustrated with you do you think he's upset with you let's ask the lord to reveal his truth to us right now holy spirit what lies do i believe about the father and his love for me Would you please reveal that to my beautiful brothers and sisters right now what's a lie that we are believing about the father and his love holy spirit what is your truth about this lie what is the declaration of heaven in answer to the enemy's attack Relationship with the father and you can just pray this in your heart father I renounce and repent of believing this lie and I choose to believe your truth and what you have to say about your love for me I open my heart to you father to encounter your love.